Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and intern for whatever story you're working on there, fella. Thank you. I'm going to have you do all the work for this episode <laughs> while I go look up my ex-girlfriend and act really sleazy around her. I yeah. That's the ma plan. Make sure you think that she's old and fat and then be like, oh, there's more to life than just thinking that. And I'll be out there just doing the work for you. Good buddy. We'll get a good article out of it. Yeah, probably mm -hmm. not. I don't think they ever even wrote an article in this movie. <laughs> anyway, what is happening? <laughs> we are here at the season finale already. It always feels like it goes so quickly of our season on the films of 2012. And as we always do for the final episode, we are giving you the choice, our listeners, of what movie to talk about. We come up with a little theme and put it out to our listeners. And for 2012, our theme was Mark Duplass, the indie sensation who really was blowing up this year. We had three Mark Duplass related films that we could have talked about. Jeff, who lives at home, which he co-directed with his brother, Jay Duplass, uh, Your Sister's Sister from director Lynn Shelton, and the movie that you all chose, which is Safety Not Guaranteed, the debut of a somewhat contentious director, Colin Trevorrow, starring Mark Duplass, uh, Aubrey Plaza, Jake Johnson, and Karan Sony, inspired by a real-life classified ad that was a joke ad placed in a magazine called Backwoods Home in 1997. And that became sort of, it sounds like it became like one of the earliest internet memes because it wasn't until 10 years later that uh, it had been circulating for all this time. And Derek Connolly, the screenwriter of this film, came upon it and used it as a starting point for speculating about what kind of person might write this ad looking for a partner to time travel. Yeah, so a few things right off the bat, like the guy who put the ad in was like, oh, it was clearly a joke because I put other ads in with the same address and I figured everyone would just piece, piece it together, wink, wink, mm. you know, that that was what was going on. And it was like, no one seemed to get it. Uh, but that ad uh, became so famous, right? Like they talked about it on The Tonight Show, right? You know, Jay Leno was all like, hey, <laughs> you want to see an ad? And they're a little crazy. <laughs> was it, on, up was it on headlines i used to love yeah. headlines i will admit i used to love it i did time too. travel look like this guy needs the time travel back to see a doctor <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coming up later leanne rhymes will be out um <laughs> anyway uh josh what's more important though is that we have to let the audience know you are all on probation right now. <laughs> we gave you two really, really great choices and safety not guaranteed. And you chose safety not guaranteed. If this was uh, an international football league, you would be on the verge of relegation. So mm. that's would, a metaphor we all understand. Here. You would yeah, you would be sure. dropping down a league to listen, you'd only be able to listen to lesser podcasts, like piecing it together mm -hmm. <laughs> and you'd have to earn your way back into awesome movie year, but it's not, it's uh, it's just probation guys. So really take that into consideration. Yeah. I feel like this is at least the second time we've had this, where we collectively have been rooting 
against the choice that we ended up with. But yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, you know, fair warning to all the people who voted for this, who presumably like this movie. We're not going to have a lot of positive things to say in this episode about this film. Uh, But Jeff, who lives at home and your sister's sister, really good films that you should check out. Watch those and then reflect on your choices. Yeah, Josh, which were you rooting for? I was really rooting more for your sister's sister because I thought it would be interesting to talk about Lynn Shelton and her whole career. Um, but but I mean, I think they're, they're both really good. I'm pretty sure Jeff, who lives at home, was on my top 10 list for the year when I made it in 2012. So I would have been curious to revisit that. So um, you know, maybe someday we'll get the chance to do that. I, too, uh, would love for us to talk about Lynn Shelton, who cameos in this film, as a matter she of does. fact. I like that movie a lot and I love the setting in your sister's sister. And I think like Emily Blunt is uh, really just that's to me, maybe her star making performance. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is really good in that. Um, but uh, I, I think I would have liked Jeff who lives at home as my choice, just because I don't think I've seen that since the theater. And I know I really liked it and I have seen your sister's sister again. So that would have been my choice. But instead, I went in with an open mind saying, like, did I miss something here in safety not guaranteed? And the answer is no. No, I did not. I kind of felt the same. Maybe I'll like this a little more. And in fact, the opposite thing happened. But we, we should say, are in the minority, not only compared to our listeners, but compared to most people when this film came out. It premiered at the 2012 Sundance Film Festival, where it won the Waldo Salt Screenwriting Award for Derek Connolly. Um, it then went on to be a pretty decent box office success for a small indie film. It grossed $4.4 million on its budget of just $750,000. Um, it was on critics' top 10 lists. At the Independent Spirit Awards, it was nominated for Best First Feature, and it won Best First Screenplay. Uh, I think it has something like a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes still with you know any reviews that have accumulated since then. So. This is a movie that was generally quite well-liked by most people but us. So, you know, what we always say at the end via, you know, hit us up on social media and tell us why we're wrong. But, like, I'm going to say it at the beginning. If you voted for this or you really like this movie, let us know where we are failing you. Yeah. Okay? That's, uh, I look forward to hearing that. So, right. So, critics, um, I, I was even looking to try and find some slight negativity, which I'll get to. but. Starting out, critics were generally very positive about this film. Roger Ebert said, Few descriptions of safety not guaranteed will do it justice. It's a more ambitious and touching movie than seems possible, given its starting point. It is a comedy in many ways, but there's a serious undertow, kind-hearted attention to the characters, and a treatment of time travel that A, takes it seriously, and B, sidesteps all of the well-known paradoxes by which time travel is impossible. Safety Not Guaranteed not only has dialogue that's about something, but characters who have some depth and dimension. Mark Duplass has all of a sudden emerged as an engaging actor with real presence. This is really his movie. The role is borderline impossible, and he carries it. Well... It, it's interesting because they're like safety not guaranteed takes time travel seriously, but it seems to be like, if not, I don't want to say making fun of the lead character, but at least showing that there is some need for some mental help. Let's say you know uh, there and there is it's a, there's certain mental illness. Not to say you can't uh, uh, create a, a time machine, 
<laughs> just if you're mentally ill, maybe it helps. But uh, so I don't know, you know, if I'm like, oh, it's, it takes everything like on the level or or it, it felt like, did it feel like it was poking fun at the lead character a little to you, Josh? I, I mean, I, I feel like it should have poked more fun at the lead character because part of the problem with this movie is that it's like, oh, you know, like it wants to have it both ways. Like, you're right, Jason, the guy is clearly mentally ill, but it wants to treat it as like, oh, he's quirky and let's have this romance, which I never for a second bought into the romance between Mark Duplass's character and Aubrey Plaza's character, the the intern at the, the magazine who does all the work. And so I think it's trying not to. It's trying to be very sensitive to this guy and the idea that like, oh, people, you know, in the context of the movie, people are poking fun at him because he's a weirdo. But you know, he's really just sensitive and misunderstood. But it's like, no, no, he's not really just sensitive and misunderstood. He's got severe, like he's severely disturbed and needs some help. And yeah, and the whole time travel thing of it just feels like a pretext, except, I mean, when we get to the very, very end and it felt like Colin Trevorrow at the end was like, I got to do some special effects thing here because I uh, want to get a job making a special effects movie. <laughs> yeah. So here's here's some little effects bit right at the very end of this film. And and I don't know, the ending super annoyed me as well. So, yeah, yeah, I I personally uh, I could buy into the first kiss between those two characters. Uh, but then when all these like revelations come to pass and like then she's still like is like, I still have a crush on this guy, like, uh, or I'm not worried about him. That that to me is uh, it lost me there. Um, I I had read they did have a different original ending, and then uh, they Trevor felt it uh, felt flat, and then that's why he reshot the more fantastical ending. I mean, and who knows? Maybe that would have been worse. But yeah, I I definitely think where you have this big, what's meant to be kind of this triumphant moment at the end, where she's like, yes. I'm still all on board. It's like, no, no, I, I don't believe it. And also you are wrong. So yeah, there was that, like, Hey, you know, like, let's uh, take a step back and talk this out. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll find out a plan and we can really dig into this and work on you. Yeah. But, but other people seem to have been really swept up in this. So uh, Kenneth Tran in the Los Angeles times said, it is one of the great classified ads of our time. And it leads to an unexpected and endearing film that is as deliciously off-center as the words that ignite it. The film is safety not guaranteed, and its success is both delightful and unlikely. As sweet as it is eccentric, and it is wildly eccentric, this is a warm movie in cynical disguise, a story that takes a handful of thoroughly modern characters, places them in a classic screwball comedy plot, and lets nature take its course. Created by writer Derek Connolly and director Colin Trevorrow, both first-time feature makers, safety can't be described in any way that's as enticing as it is to experience. Because nothing plays out as anticipated, this off-balance project comes fully alive on screen in a way a written summary can't capture. Uh, first, I would like to know, does Mr. Turan have a list of the other greatest classified <laughs> ads of all time? They've right? all been on headlines with Jay Leno. <laughs> right. And uh, a, a classic screwball comedy plot. Like, no. What? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh oh, turns out uh, I went back in time to meet my girlfriend and look who's there. Another one of my girlfriends. How am I going to keep them apart? Zoinks, you know, like. Uh, I don't think that's a classic screwball plot. And also, I didn't need to throw Zoics in there because this isn't a Saved by the Bell reference. 
No, no. I mean, I guess the screwballness of it theoretically could be the idea that that Darius uh, Aubrey Plaza's character is trying to, you know, juggle her two positions, you know, keep uh, Mark Duplass from finding out that she's a reporter or whatever. But there's not much of there's no like farce there. There aren't really very many moments, if any, where she has to like scramble to hide or things like that. Or, you know, change clothes or something to avoid being discovered or something like that. Like, this isn't a funny movie. I don't think it's even really intentionally a funny movie. It's not just that I didn't laugh at it. I don't think it's meant to have jokes, I guess. I don't know, Jason. You're the comedy expert. Uh, actually, the comedy expert's me. So, <laughs> a little later, Carrot Top will be out showing off some new props. So, uh, <laughs> um no, I mean the the jokes are in the dialogue, right? Like, yeah, you know, they're they're they definitely have certain scenes that are just specifically there, like like when uh, Darius, the Aubrey Plaza character, like has dinner with her dad, played by Jeff Garland, and he's just like, "Ah, oh, you're a virgin." Oh, how do you what? Like, I you don't know what I did when I was at college? Yes, I do. I called your roommate Allison, you know, or whatever like that. Is that a but, joke? It tried to be. I mean, there's no point in that scene otherwise. And then, you know, there's no point in that scene. You can end your sentence there. <laughs> no. And then, of course, like the Duplass character has, like I was telling you, like those cutesy lines, like, you know, you're not jerking me around. Jerking people around is for jerks. And I'm like, it's just too cutesy for me. Sometimes. Yeah. So. Yeah. It felt more cutesy than funny. You know that I, I would lo love to know, like, are people really laughing out loud at this movie because they enjoy the humor of it? I, I don't know. Maybe they you are. mean you mean LOLing? Is anyone LOLing at this film? Let us. <laughs> Does know. anyone say it anymore? So. Uh, so on the mildly critical angle, this is what I found. Uh, Owen Gleiberman in Entertainment Weekly said, "From Lars and the Real Girl to Harvey, there's a noble tradition in movies of folks who are gently off their rockers, characters who invite the audience to fall in love with their cuddly, cracked quote innocence." So it is with Kenneth, a supermarket worker in the Pacific Northwest who plans to travel back in time. He also thinks that the government is after him. But these textbook traits of schizophrenia are treated by the movie as glorified sitcom quirks. The best thing in the film is Aubrey Plaza's goldfish-eyed cynicism as Darius, the intern who's just jaded enough to go along with Kenneth's paranoia. Safety Not Guaranteed is a fable of, quote, redemption. And it's too tidy by half, but it is also very sweetly told. Uh, it's so weird that everyone <laughs> loves this movie, Josh. So, look, Aubrey Plaza, huge star now. Like, we, we knew this back then. Like, you could watch this and be like, she's going to be, she's just going to take over. Like, and we've all been watching and enjoying her ascent. Uh, and now she can pretty much do whatever she wants, right? So yeah. that was one of the nice things about this, seeing a mm -hmm. great, you know, one of her many great performances. So I'll take that. Yeah, I, I like her too, but I do feel like also she's sort of ill-served here. And when she he, he says that he likes that her character is cynical, I feel like it's, it's not. And that's sort of the disconnect is that that's typically what she plays and that's kind of how she comes across most of the time. But this is the character who's the least cynical, who's the most open to the craziness of this guy. You know, Jake Johnson is the character who's completely cynical about everything. And she's the one who's like, no, let's 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 open our hearts to time travel. And this crazy person who's uh, attractive somehow. I, I don't I don't I don't know either. I mean, she you know, because there wasn't like 
maybe, you know, the classic journey of like cynical to like, no, now I see, you know, like, right. I don't think that was really done well either. So, no, no, she's, you know. she's really kind of into him from the beginning. And even though we get that like little monologue of hers at the beginning where she's uh, interviewing for a job at a restaurant or whatever, and that's meant to show you how cynical she is, but that all completely has dissipated even when she first meets Kenneth there in like the grocery store or whatever. Yep. It sure does, Josh. <laughs> so Jason, uh, you and I saw this movie together when it was in theaters, I guess. And usually I have to remind you of this, but since you went back and looked through every old email we ever sent one another, I was just were looking able to find looking, this out. I was looking to see if I had written anything about this movie. And so I did search my email and found a, a message about us going to see this uh, in an afternoon one day. So um, we were excited to see it, obviously. I was definitely excited to see it. Uh, I will, you know, when I um, like had a hot minute in Hollywood, probably like uh, 2009 or so, you know, mm -hmm. um, I remember my managers and agents were like, well, who's what kind of career do you want to have? Right. And at that point in time, everyone was our, like every comedy person was like, I want to be the next Seth Rogen or whatever. Right. And I was, and even back then I was like, I think I, I would like to have like a Mark Duplass type career, you know, or like really put it in this indie world and like doing, you know, kind of making movies and acting in cool movies. And this was before, like, you know, three years before the year of Duplass that we're doing right now. Right. So like, even back then I was like all about that. And uh, so when this, th of those three movies that we mentioned, of the three previews, this is the one that excited me the most, right? Like, it looks like such a cool idea, and it's got this cool indie cast that I all like. And uh, I just remember going like, I, I don't know what happened. And then uh, I guess this would be more for the next segment. But man, Act 3 is a totally different movie than the first two acts. Yeah, I mean, and I don't remember specifically how like how I anticipated all three of these movies, but it's possible that I felt the same way that I would have anticipated this one the most. I definitely typically like this kind of marriage of like character driven dramedy and genre elements. There are a lot of movies like that that I really enjoy. Um, and at the time, I probably wasn't super familiar with Lynn Shelton as far as your sister's sister goes. I might have been more excited about Jeff Who Lives at Home because I did really like the movies that the Duplass brothers had directed prior to that. Um, but I think, again, yeah, both of us clearly were going to see this eagerly. And I think we were probably both let down <laughs> at that time and, and continue to be let down. Dave, did you see this when this came out? So I hadn't. Um, so like you guys, I you know, really like the other two picks that were in the audience choice poll. But yeah, unlike you guys, I was kind of rooting for this because I had heard so many good things about it over the years, but uh, I didn't like it either. It's very bad, actually. <laughs> right. You know who else didn't like it was uh, Gina. So oh. much so that she ran into the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces Facebook group and posted about how much she hated this. Oh, she was, oh, she was so out. Like 20 minutes in, she was done. Oh, man. So she didn't even watch the whole movie? She got on her phone. I mean, she kind of no. saw the rest of it, but, you know. In the background there, yeah. That's yeah. fair. Hey, Josh, let me ask you a question, because you're mm -hmm. talking about movies like this that you like. 
Oh, now uh, you're going to ask me to come up with one and I'm going to. Yeah, of course I am. That's well, you know, the audience needs to know, Josh. Yeah, no. And that's a fair question. I just can't I can't off the top of my head think of one. But um, I'm sure that if you want to give me a moment. <laughs> a little later, Josh Bell will be here telling us about <laughs> genre movies with romance elements in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I not necessarily romance elements, but just films that are more character driven that aren't about like the spectacle and the special effects. And and for a while, actually, I was writing uh, sort of this column spotlighting underrated sci fi movies and a lot of stuff that I worked in there, I think, was in that in that area uh, like uh, Riley Stearns, the filmmaker um, who made a movie called Duel last year. Um, I feel like his stuff is in that realm. Faults, his first film was one that I wrote mm -hmm. about there. Um, Dave made a maze is a weird little genre e piece, but it's, you know, made on a tiny little budget. How about eternal sunshine of the spotless mind? That's Absolutely. an easy, that's a more well-known film that fits in that area. So, um, little fish from a couple of years ago is another good one too. Yeah. Little fish was good. Um, colossal with Anne Hathaway and Jason Sudeikis, which is a sure. movie I really love. That is actually, that's like a perfect example of this. So there you go, Jason. I thought of stuff. Yes, you sure did, Dave. <laughs> hey, I just named like four movies. <laughs> Give Dave a little credit. One no, Dave did. Shows. Yeah. I mean, Eternal Sunshine is one of my favorite movies of all time. So uh, good on you, Dave, for, for coming up with that. But not do you right. have any examples of that, Jason? Is that the kind of thing that you like? I do like stuff like that. I mean, I, I guess Palm Springs kind of counts for me. Totally. You know? sure. So yeah, stuff like that. I mean, we just saw this with Meet Cute, which didn't execute as well, I feel like. But um. Yeah, I, I I mean, obviously, I love Eternal Sunshine also, but, um, you know, Science of Sleep, I would say. So and, another Gondry movie. But uh, yeah, those those would be two right there. Uh, Palm Springs and uh, and Science of Sleep. Those are yeah. two good ones. Those are uh, both really good. And I, I was like the lone defender of Meet Cute. And uh, maybe we'll talk about that director later because he's worked with Mark Duplass multiple times. But uh, yeah, all of those literally we just named like eight to 10 movies that are way better than this, that you should go watch all of those instead. Whew, we're really taking it to this pro probation ridden audience of ours. Yes. Yes, mm -hmm. indeed. So uh, is there anything else related to the background of this film you want to talk about, Jason? Uh, I think you mentioned a lot of it, Josh. Uh, did you ever read Backwoods Home magazine? I did not. I did look it up online yesterday just to see if it still is in existence, which it is. And it's, uh, you know, you said the idea that the the publisher or whatever, the editor who put this fake ad in thought, oh, obviously people are going to know it's fake, but it's this like survivalist magazine. I feel like the audience for this magazine is totally the kind of people who would believe that someone has built a time machine in their garage. Yeah. Now, if if you could, would where would you go back in time to, Josh? Hmm. I don't know. Would it be like, uh, is there something in my life that I want to uh, correct? Or maybe I would just go back and see like, you know, Led Zeppelin in concert with John Bonham or something like that. that it's fun. Cool. It's funny you say that because my brother always says he would go to 78 and, and, you know, which is like our favorite Springsteen tour, the darkness tour. And then meanwhile, like, go. meanwhile, Debbie Harry's like at her, like, hottest and blondie and everything like that and you got all this cool punk music the clash and everything and uh the ramones so you know it's uh it's interesting you know dave i know you would spend a midnight in paris <laughs> sure why not 
<laughs> Dave, Dave's yeah. gonna go back and play early video games. <laughs> well, actually, it would it would be the '80s uh, to go see the Cure. Maybe head on the door era. So, all right, nice. Yeah, we're all gonna go to concerts. That's our yes. <laughs> yeah, we don't have we don't have much uh, hope of like uh, doing something for the world at this point. Nah. None of us want to kill Hitler. So. Right. No. Well, as they say in this movie, and as often the case in many time travel movies, like you, you, even with the best of intentions, you can't go back and change things because it just it just screws everything up. So, right. you know, no killing Hitler. Just just go <laughs> sit in the audience at a concert and don't talk to anyone. I think that's what you got to do. Yeah. No human contact of any kind. Totally. So. That's why I love it. Uh, we'll come back in a moment and talk more of our general thoughts on safety, not guaranteed. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in this season finale of our season on the films of 2012. We are talking about the audience choice poll winner, Safety Not Guaranteed, which some of you out there must really like, but none of us do. So suck it. (laughs) (laughs) After we, hey, I like this new aggressive, Josh. Maybe after we all watched it and realized we uh, felt this way, we should have uh, had an audience member come on and give us a defense of this film. but. Like I said, like to me, it's like a totally different movie in the third act. Um, I didn't mind the reveals leading to it, but I felt like the execution afterwards didn't work. There were certain things that were unclear. I thought it was too cutesy, like I said. And then, you know, like I love Mark Duplass. I didn't really love this character at all. And Jake Johnson, who we know is a very good comedy actor, that character is quite hateable. Yeah, and I don't know that he's meant to be hateable either. And that right. I think is the big problem. Like if he was the villain of this in some way, then then it would be okay that he was this total douche. But I feel like his whole storyline, which they devote a shocking amount of time to in this film, where he's come to this town, you know, he's using the excuse of them doing this article about the weird guy with the time travel ads so that, that he can look up this woman that he had a fling with back when he was a teenager and hook up with her. And we have this whole storyline of him on his own where he goes and he first he finds her. And then Jason, as you mentioned, he's like, oh, she's fat and ugly now, which like is, first of all, wrong. And second of all, like terrible for him to say. And just this is this is the guy that we're supposed to root for. And then they get together and we have a whole. uh, I don't but okay, but look, I noticed at least a couple of just sloppy errors in this movie, right? And that's one of them because, you know, he's like, oh, I'm going to look up this woman. But then she says like, hey, I was really excited when like I found you on Facebook or like we linked up on Facebook. So it's not like he didn't see what she looked like now. Well, no, you know? he, they, they, they do specifically say there's a scene with him and, and Karan Sony's character where he says, oh, I found her on Facebook, but she doesn't have any pictures. Oh, uh, well, then I'm wrong on that one. I'll take the heat. But I'll give you another example, right? Yeah. You know, when they find out that uh, Kenneth has kind of made this whole thing up about uh, his ex-girlfriend dying, and then they, like, track her down. Uh, and it's Jake Johnson's character. He tells uh, Kristen Bell, like, hey, this is what's going on. We found her. We're going to go interview her, right? And then they're in the car and she's like, I'll go do the interview, right? I'll go do it. And then she gets to the door and Kristen Bell's like, oh, hello, Darius. Come on in. Like this person who has never met or knows about this other person there, you know, the way it's set up is like Darius, 
even though we just revealed all this information to you, you've already spoken to her and she knows you're coming to interview her. Like, it's just sloppy, you know? Yeah, I mean, the entire depiction, and this is like something that would be not that big a deal if it were a better movie, because uh, there are plenty of good movies that are terrible depictions of, of journalism and, 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 you know, extraordinarily inaccurate and they're still enjoyable to watch. But the fact that that I'm not like, engaged in the plot just keeps making me think about how unrealistic the whole depiction of, of journalism here is in this magazine where they're paying for three people to go stay right. in a motel for like a week to investigate some little story that's probably going to be a, you know, 300 word blurb in the latest <laughs> issue of this magazine. And every so often the boss played by the great Mary Lynn Rice Cub, who doesn't get much to do here. She doesn't uh, have much to do. At no, all. no. And every so often she's like, uh, so what's going on? Oh, all right. Just just keep me posted. And she's supposed to be like the hard ass boss who's writing them or whatever. So, Josh, two questions. One, you know, this was 2012. Is it more believable at this time that a magazine would have sent three people to, you know, a weekend getaway drivable? You know, is that more believable back then? I mean, it's more believable then than it is now. But even then, I don't like unless they were the new york times or something and they're supposed to be like you seattle know, all right, weekly or seattle, something. Ma I don't seattle know, magazine yeah like yeah. a monthly city magazine type thing which is which is something that that there are very few of those in existence anymore yeah i i doubt it i doubt it maybe again if it was like this is our cover story or this is like a huge investigation that's gonna you know bring down the corrupt politicians who run our city or something like that but for the little quirky story about some weird guy no no absolutely not i mean i guess you could say like hey you know in the pitch meeting they had no other pitches right so they were like we'll go all in on this <laughs> we're but just uh, gonna have the whole magazine issue be devoted to this one <laughs> when i when i used to write for vegas magazine i was never sent anywhere and we had even talked about like how to do travel coverage and then they were like no there's just right. no money, you know? So Yeah, I mean, that was as a freelancer. And this guy is, I mean, this is really in the weeds here. But like, you know, the character, Jake Johnson's character is meant to be on staff. And when I was on staff at Las Vegas Weekly, theoretically, there were potential for expenses. But I remember, Jason, when you and I went to Sundance and I was writing an article uh, interviewing a local filmmaker from Vegas who had a short film in Sundance that you had an acting role in. Thank you for mentioning yes. that. I was going to make sure that you did if you didn't. Right. So. But the, the point the point being is that this was a legit reason for the publication. You know, it was an article that was going to, it's a like small feature story. And I remember, Jason, we stayed in Salt Lake City and had to drive like an hour and a half the morning of Sundance because that was the most money that I could get for a hotel room, like an hour away that we had to share, you know? Yes. And that I remember took a battle to get them to pay for that. Yeah. I didn't know all the backroom machinations there, Josh, but I did. I do remember that. And we saw the Patty Smith documentary in Salt Lake city the night before as a satellite, uh, for the, it was part of Sundance. So that was interesting that they were running things in, uh, both Salt Lake and park city back then. Josh, you said that there are plenty of journalism movies that get the whole thing wrong but are still enjoyable. Want to oh, okay. name one or two? You're going to make me think of one of those? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel, like, I feel like virtually every movie that involves journalists, unless it's like All the President's Men or something like that, unless it's a true story based movie, and even then sometimes they'll gloss over things, 
you know, gets it wrong. And like, again, I feel like it's okay. I'm sure there are a million other professions that I'm not involved with and don't know very much about that are also misrepresented in films and I don't, it doesn't bother me. So like, again, that's not a problem. If a character is a journalist, you know, tons of rom-coms have characters who are journalists who, who have similar kinds of things. They have ridiculously large expense accounts or they can spend three months writing one article or things like that that are completely unrealistic and whatever. If it's an entertaining story, I don't really care. Um, I mean, I'm avoiding coming up with an example here, but, you know, again, you could name pretty much any movie that involves a journalist character that is a good movie and it would be unrealistic and it's fine. Hmm. Okay. All right. <laughs> way, to, way to skirt the question, Josh. Did so. you have an example there, Jason? No, I don't have any examples of anything. Uh, but I will say, look, let's talk about some positive stuff. We already mentioned Aubrey Plaza. Great. Uh, I uh, will also say I love the scenery in this movie. I am very attuned to that Seattle Pacific Northwest area. Uh, your sister, sister also utilizes it. And it's like it always makes me want to go there. Maybe me, Dave and Gina can uh, combine his movie trip of uh, somebody that I used to know and my movie trip of these of your sister's sister. And we could go do a whole Pacific Northwest outing together off the coasts of Washington. Yeah, that sounds nice. Gina really likes that movie too. So uh, she'd be in. All right. All right. <laughs> cool. um, yeah, it does have some nice scenery and they specifically go to this little town, uh, Ocean View, I think it's called in Washington, where Mark Duplass's character lives and there's some, some nice beaches and, and greenery and all that stuff. And yeah, I mean, I feel like that's, if that's what you're searching for, if you're watching the movie and you're thinking, boy, do I love the trees, then the movie is not succeeding for you. Well, yeah, I'm just saying it's like, you know, when you see movies about like the Pacific Northwest or islands, you don't necessarily if you see an island movie, you don't necessarily think of like the the, you know, islands off of Seattle. But when you see something Pacific Northwest, it's always set in Portland, Seattle, Vancouver. But these like nice small towns, you know, much like Goonies. They're just mm. wonderful. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I'm trying to think of something nice. The whole thing, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't have much else, Josh. Yeah, no, I mean that's nicer than than really what I can come up with. I mean, I feel like just so many aspects of this movie, like the whole Jake Johnson character, literally everything that he does does is just like I don't even understand. It just feels so misguided. And and you know, I said this on Letterboxd. I feel like is it this movie has aged poorly? Is it that in 2012 the like endearing sort of, uh, you know, intellectual journalist guy could just have a bunch of casual like sexism and racism. And that would be like, would be part of his charm. And we don't see it that way anymore. And I mean, I don't think that that's true, but I feel like that's basically what they're doing. Like when he just, you know, tosses off stuff like that, you're meant to be like, oh, what a scoundrel. And it just makes him seem like such an asshole the whole time. I didn't like the character. What what was racist, though, Josh? Well, I mean, just like not like hardcore or whatever, but like it, in the beginning when he, they're in the meeting and Marilyn Rice Cub, the editor says, yeah, go ahead. You can do this story. And he's like, oh, I want some interns. And the various people raise their hands and he points to Aubrey Plaza and, and Karan Sony. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll take the lesbian and the Indian or whatever. And it's like it's not. But just the, the way that he reduces somebody to that right. description is racist. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't take it as racist. I just took him as this kind of like, you know, that type of character is usually like wacky best friend. Right. You know, like who like has a heart of gold, but has no filter. But this guy just was like, 
the catalyst for the whole story and then just was a dick the whole time. Right. Yeah, I think that's the thing. And it's all sort of under that umbrella of him being a dick. And but we're supposed to, I think you're right, is like have the idea that, oh, but he's got a heart of gold, but he does not at all. have. A <laughs> and they never gold. really they didn't resolve his thing. Right. Like, am I wrong? Because like he's going to chase the woman, then he's not going to chase her. Then he meets up with her. Then they like spark and have sex. And then he's like, come back to Seattle. And then she's like, no, nah, that's crazy. And he's like, no, I'm crazy for caring. Right. You know, right. and then they never went back to it. Right. Did I, am I forgetting something? No, you're absolutely right. And then he goes from there and he sort of like fixates on the idea that he's going to get the the intern laid and they pick up these I believe probably underage girls <laughs> outside this like liquor store and, you know, bring them back to the hotel so that that he can get uh, Arnaud, the intern laid, which I guess is implied that it does happen. And I suppose the best they can do is at least imply that he spent the night like sleeping outside and thus he did not have sex with a teenager. But that's like the best we could. Well, get. you're you're hoping, you know, look uh, there in that. Uh... Uh, you know, range of legality, I think was, uh, you know, yeah. yeah. So I don't think they were like uh, skeezing on like illegal, uh, you know, like they weren't 14 or anything. Right. There you so, go. That's the best defense that we can I mean, what I'm trying guy. to be like, I don't think he was, I don't know what to say, man. Like, you know, like you want me to like, the, there was the scene where they're at like the, the football game and they're like, yeah, you know, you're in college and they're in high school, right? So, like, uh, of course they want to uh, bang you, right? You know, and uh, hopefully they're all uh, finished with high school and <laughs> yeah. uh, on their but way. That's not so. what he's implying. He is basically saying, hey, adult intern, go have sex with some underage teenagers because they are going to want it. I'm going to look at it in a much nicer way where it's like, hey you're legal, they're legal. You can, you can have sex with them if they want to consensually have sex with you. That's what I'm going to, I'm going to give them the benefit of that (laughs) doubt. How about that? I I appreciate that. I think the fact that this comes up at all is a failure of the movie. (laughs) Sure. That might be true. Uh, one of many. Yes. So Dave, I wanted to ask you about the score for this film because I thought the music in this movie was just dreadful. Mm Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I that was one of the things that I didn't like along with everything else, along along <laughs> with the bad humor and the bad characters. Yeah, no, I, I thought the score was very, you know, it didn't work at all for the kind of movie that it's supposed to be. So I don't know. I read in like one of the things that like in the elevator in the beginning, the lead singer of the Lumineers is on the elevator. And like, hmm. uh, I, I guess, I mean, they weren't famous then, but I was like, man, uh, they, uh, the, the, this movie, uh, feels like it should have all been scored by the Lumineers and that would have been a, a, at least a little better, I would say. Yeah. Well, it was scored by, uh, the composer, uh, whose name I'm going to look up, uh, Ryan Miller, the composer is the like lead singer of the band Guster, which is a no. very similar okay. kind of like twee, you know, folk indie rock band. Much and, earlier though. Right. But, but probably an influence and. You know, I, Jason, I know you like the Lumineers, but I feel like that moment in music is so like, it feels so dated right now that I feel like this is like the Lumineers of movies. (laughs) But that's what I mean. But that's what I'm saying. This does feel dated. And I agree with you. Like, I do like them. But of course, that 
Americana, you know, kind of, uh, we all have harps and, uh, you know, washboards to play. It's like kind of over, but, um, but it does feel like it would have belonged here. Yeah. And I think there are some songs that sound like that. And we of course also get the original song that, uh, Kenneth has composed about his not actually dead ex-girlfriend where, which he plays on the zither. I hated that scene too. Let's give Mark Duplass some credit. He played a zither, man. That's pretty cool, you yeah, know. Yeah, and he had a perfectly serviceable singing voice there. So, so good, good for him. He is a. Uh, I think he front. They had a band back in the day. Okay, and, yeah. And he, huh? he, he toured with the band and everything like yeah. that. So I did write down my one laugh in the movie. Uh, was when uh, Duplass says to uh, Aubrey Plaza, "Do you know what Star Wars is?" Um, that, right. <laughs> that that made me laugh. Otherwise, I, uh, none of the jokes landed for me. I actually thought that was like also a good callback to the scene before where like, you know, they're talking about stormtroopers and right. the uh, Jake Johnson character doesn't understand that stormtroopers are just like common uh, blue collar workers. I thought that was funny, too. Right, you know? right. And and Cronzoni's character, who is the one who knows the most about Star Wars, which of course is like, cause he's like the nerd stereotype guy. But um, yeah, that was an amusing line that after all that, he's like, have you heard of Star Wars? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I guess I, you know, we might as well just, uh, just go ahead and rate this because we don't need to keep harping on it's all keep zithering on it. Yeah. Mm, let's let's just rate it out of five time machines and move on. Okay, cool. I, uh, I'll go first. Uh, generous. I'm going to give it two and a half. That is generous. It is a capable movie with some good performances, and uh, that's that's and uh, nice scenery. Yeah, the scenery. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Stars for the scenery. Yeah, I'm going to give it. I think I gave it two and a half at the time I first saw it, and I'm I liked less this time. I'm going to give it two time machines out of five. I really just feel like I also wonder how many people are voting for this based on having seen it in 2012, and I would love for all those people to watch it now and continue to like it. So we'll see, but. (laughs) Two out of five for me, Dave. Yeah, I'm also going two out of five. And yeah, I, I was wondering that myself, um, how many people haven't seen it since 2012. How would Gina rate this, Dave? Oh, probably uh, one and a half at <laughs> best. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I always want to look back and like watch, because I loved Garden State when I first when it first came out. And I actually rewatched it, you know, maybe... 10 years ago and I was like I still like this movie and I wonder now how I would feel about it yeah that is another one that's sort of a cultural moment that has passed in such a way that you wonder I I liked it too at the time and I haven't seen it since it came out in theaters so I would be curious on that as well maybe when we get to whatever year that was that it came out. 2004 maybe there you go knows, we'll give yeah. that a try but uh, for now we'll come back and talk about the legacy of safety not guaranteed Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in this season finale of our season on the films of 2012. We are talking about our audience choice poll winner, Safety Not Guaranteed. And since the whole point of the poll was Mark Duplass, I feel like maybe we should start the legacy with the the, the really quite amazing career that Mark Duplass continues to have. Yeah, though we don't like this film, Mark Duplass is awesome. Uh, and I would recommend, obviously, going back to some movies that, of course, we've mentioned probably here and definitely on piecing it together, like the early Duplass stuff, the the puffy chair, baghead, just those kind of indie, um, 
you know, real low budget, micro budget stuff that those guys were doing and that they were also like acting in like Hannah takes the stairs with Greta Gerwig that I think was uh, a Joe Swanberg movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So just stuff like that. And um, he's great. And he also kind of uh, they changed the way that uh, you're able to have an indie film career because of what the deals that they made with Netflix and how they support other indie filmmakers and they produce so many things um i like the league i loved wild wild country which uh you know the league he started as a good funny tv show wild wild country they produced about that um kind of cult that lived in oregon uh also nice scenery up there josh um <laughs> and cults. he's co-writing and uh starring in uh a movie called the knife by former nfl all pro uh namdi asamuga i think apologies if that's asmaga or i don't know anyway i apologize for butchering that name but uh he's still working with new up-and-coming filmmakers yeah i mean and i think what's cool is that you know you're naming different things and you can name things where he's like something like the league where he was just an actor and there's other people who are creating it producing it writing it or whatever things where he's just the producer and doesn't appear on screen. Uh, you know, he works just as a writer. He works just as a director. I mean, he's done so many different positions and he moves between those all. It's not like he started as one thing and then went to do another thing. And now that's all he does. Like he moves back and forth. I mean, the one thing that that he and his brother, Jay, which they really started with that they don't really do anymore is direct feature films. Jeff, who lives at home and uh, the Dodeca Pentathlon, which both came out in 2012, were the final films that they directed, um, they kind of moved into directing TV more. They had a series on HBO called Togetherness that ran for two seasons, which I wasn't really crazy about. Yeah, no, I was going to ask you because I love them and I feel like I should probably have watched that, but I didn't at the time. Yeah, and they directed, I think, almost every episode of that show, which which ran for those two seasons. They have another show, an HBO show that ran for four seasons, an anthology called Room 104 that um, I've watched a lot of and I enjoy and is really like just the diversity of styles in in those episodes where it'll go from a, a sci-fi thing to like a horror thing to a comedy. There's one episode of it that's a documentary and it's still all within the format of this anthology. And so I think that really shows the 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 breadth of his approach to different genres or whatever. Um, I did want to mention uh, Alex Lehman, the director of Meet Cute, who worked with Mark Duplass on a couple of movies that uh, I think are really good. Blue Jay with Sarah Paulson and Paddleton with Mark Duplass and Ray Romano, which have you seen that, Jason? That's like one of the saddest movies I've ever seen. No, and, and that's and that's why I avoided it. I mean, Blue Jay is sad enough on its own, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I did like Blue Jay, but I know Paddleton is supposed to be a good film, but it seems like it's a, a tough one. Everyone says it's sad or maybe just you, but uh, that's enough for me to be like, I can't deal with this at this point. Yeah, it is tough, but, but it's really well done. And I mean, it has a lot of humor to it and then, which is, you know, partly what makes the emotion really hit even more. But, you know, I think he's done so many things that we could just keep naming stuff, but he's certainly someone whose involvement is always uh, intriguing, whether it's in front of or behind the camera. Yeah, uh, both the Duplass guys, just yes. awesome, right? So, yes. also recommend their book that they put out a few years ago. That's a good book that they. That Is they it about like uh, how to be an indie filmmaker kind of thing? It's like half 
half that like the chapters go back and forth like one chapter will be like here's how we made our career and then the next chapter will be like here's a fun cute story from our childhood right you know and it'll <laughs> kind of be like a mix of like i mean like they're they're sentimental but they seem very sincere in their sentimentality yeah i think that's actually probably a good description of the style of mark duplass as a creator as well we're always excited for what the Duplass brothers will do, and uh, hopefully there's a lot more good stuff coming from them. Yes. Uh, so this was the debut feature for both Colin Trevorrow, the director, and Derek Connolly, the screenwriter, who uh, were collaborators prior to this and continue to collaborate together. And Colin Trevorrow really has had this sort of this notorious career. Uh, I mean, thanks to the success of this film, he jumped really... Uh, over several levels, it seemed like to go from this to then directing Jurassic World was his second film. Um, and that movie was a huge success. I don't think it's very good, but it was a big success. He continued to be involved with that whole trilogy. He didn't direct the second film, but is a co-writer on it. And then he returned to direct the third movie, Jurassic World Dominion, which is just absolutely awful. But again, made a whole lot of money. Um, was at one time set to direct the third movie in the Star Wars sequel trilogy, which he eventually left and was replaced by J.J. Abrams. But weirdly, like because of the, the reception to that film, the J.J. Abrams version, The Rise of Skywalker, that a lot of people didn't like, when the script that Colin Trevorrow and Derek Connolly had written for their version of it leaked online, a lot of people liked that a lot more. Uh, I didn't, I did uh, rep. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't <laughs> read that doesn't... script yeah. and I didn't I didn't love that movie. So, you know, I could see that. But, um, you know, this was at that time when that was becoming like a thing, right? Like all these kind of like directors who make like one indie get swallowed up by Marvel or this or that. Like he's one of the names you associate with that. Like, oh, cool. One indie. And now we're doing like a big budget uh, franchise thing. But he seems to have come out all right with it. And um, I did not see his other indie. Uh, what is it? The Book of Henry? Yeah, which is, I mean, that was less of an indie. I mean, it wasn't a big blockbuster franchise movie, but it was certainly a wide release supported by a studio. And I haven't seen that either. I kind of wanted to because that has become one of these like notorious bad movies. I mean, it has a whole following at this point of bad movie lovers. And and if we ever, uh, you know, covered that year, 2017, that would be a prime candidate for like our flop episode because it yeah. did fail at the box office and is just so renowned for being so incredibly awful like i i'm curious to watch it could that also be a cult classic josh i don't know if it has a genuine appreciation enough to be a cult classic but uh you know it might get there eventually i'm not sure yeah well i would be happy to cover that year on this show but you and your rules josh yes. you and your rules well maybe in a few years from now we'll be able to do it all right <laughs> um he has a couple upcoming projects that you know, may or may not happen. He's supposed to make a film called War Magician, a true story about a magician who used illusions to defeat Nazis during World War II. That's meant to star Benedict Cumberbatch and has also signed on to direct Atlantis, which I assume is going to be some big budget, you know, special effects-y thing about the Lost Kingdom of Atlantis. But both of those in development in various phases may not actually happen. I mean, they sound like for his skill set, like good fits. So, you know, maybe he'll hit a home run. Yeah, maybe I doubt it, but we'll see. <laughs> um, and Derek Connolly, in addition to collaborating with Colin Trevorrow, has also done well in big Hollywood stuff. 
uh, wrote Kong Skull Island, wrote Detective Pikachu, wrote Monster Trucks, which is perhaps on a slightly lower level, but all of these big special effects driven films that he's managed to uh, to get writing work on. Well, we obviously have to cede the floor to Dave because you mentioned something about King Kong. So Dave- Yeah, how was that one as far as King Kong? I kind of liked that one, I remember. Yeah, it's, it's good. I mean, it's hard to make a King Kong story that's not just a retelling of the first movie. So uh, he did a good job. Yeah, and the director of that movie, Jordan Vote Roberts, is another one of these guys who made like one little sensation and became a big blockbuster guy. Yeah, dude, come on, let's do another. You know, King was a Kings of Summer, right? Was his yes. movie? Yeah, dude, I would love for him to come back and do something indie again. But he does the know. King Kongs of Summer now. <laughs> ah, <laughs> well, later Josh Bell will be out here with his newest stand-up routine <laughs> puns on movies. Yeah, that's the best I can manage. Um, do we want to talk about Aubrey Plaza, who is like a huge, huge, huge celebrity right now? I mean, she's everywhere and is great. Like she deserves to be everywhere. Yeah, I mean, we love her, dude. So um, I, I mean, White Lotus has kind of even jumped her up even more. Uh, as you know, I was a big fan of Emily the Criminal mm, last too. year. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing about and if, and Josh, we can't go without mentioning she'll be in Megalopolis. Right. Along with movie. everyone else. Yeah. In Hollywood. yeah. It's, it's a rule. We have to mention Megalopolis or Asteroid City. Or uh, Argyle on every episode now. Oppenheimer, I think, too, right? We kept talking about. Mm -hmm. But she does a lot of voice acting. Josh, of course, loved her as the voice of Grumpy Cat. Yes. In the Grumpy Cat film. But, you know, Scott Pilgrim, uh, the anime coming out, we're going to see a lot more of the voice acting stuff, too. Yeah. And she's really like, I feel like what's cool about her is that she's branched out into all these different kinds of movies while retaining her essential persona. I mean, she's in that Guy Ritchie movie recently, Operation Fortune, with, you know, Jason Statham and their, you know, globetrotting action stuff. And and she's still Aubrey Plaza in it. And I kind of love that, like in the Grumpy Cat movie, where you watch her and you're like, I'm not sure if she's just playing a sarcastic character or she's like sarcastically appearing in this movie, like as a joke. But either way, it works. Yeah, uh, I wanted to go back to Trevor over one minute because yeah. as a writer he is also uh, attached to the metal gear solid movie dave you like that video game it's not really my thing but a uh, huge huge game and i'm sure it'll be a big movie when it comes out and then he's doing one that sounded fun to me called intelligent life where i think like a guy meets a woman and it's like a rom-com where she might be an alien if I'm not mistaken, that sounds like it could be fun. But yeah, um, that's that's sort of in this wheelhouse of all those movies yeah. we were naming at the top of the episode, really. And hopefully that'll work. Has anyone ever seen the, the Dodecacathlon? That's the one Duplass Brothers movie I don't think I've ever seen. No, I haven't. And that was one where they made it. It came out in 2012, but they had made it like five years earlier or something. And it was on the shelf for all that time. But I'd like to see it. I just I haven't gotten around to it. Yeah, I, I'd like to do that as well. Uh Jake Johnson, who we did not like in this movie, is doing great and is a very funny actor. And this just wasn't um, a good one, I think, for him. But, you know, he's uh, in uh, uh, both him and Karan uh, Sani are in the Spider-Verse movies, right? And yeah. um, for better Jake Johnson um, kind of leading man work, I'd say go watch Drinking Buddies. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. that's one of three movies that he made with Joe Swanberg, who we brought up earlier. Um, I like Drinking Buddies a lot. Um, Win It All and Digging for Fire are the other two that they made together. And I feel like that's actually like this interesting, almost like trilogy about 
kind of people coming of age too late in life uh sort of stuff yeah, so 30 I really 30 somethings who can't get their shit together right exactly exactly and he he is great in all of those and i think in by the time they got to win it all which is the third one that they did he's also credited as the co-writer of that along with joe swanberg yeah he's doing a lot of writing it looks like uh there's a movie called catalina about like uh a woman who uh, runs for a small town mayor, but like has uh, d- d- doesn't know what she's up against type thing, you know, and um, uh, another movie called The Henchman. So we'll see. But uh, a lot of voice acting and a lot of writing lately for him. Yeah. And his uh, directorial debut, which he also co-wrote called Self-Reliance, premiered at South by Southwest uh, just a you know month ago or so. And I think got some pretty good reviews. And uh, I also want to shout out TV wise, I mean, of course, everyone knows New Girl, but I really enjoy him on Minx, which uh, got dropped by HBO Max, but thankfully picked up by stars. So I'm looking forward to the second season of that. Ah, I didn't know that got picked up. So yes. Hooray, Minx. I I, I will non-sarcastically hooray for Minx. <laughs> I haven't watched it, so <laughs> yeah, I'm not just good. dogging it. You yeah. know, I just, you know, so. Uh, and Karan Sani working constantly as well. Miracle Workers, Deadpool, Spider-Verse. Yeah, yeah. He's always fun to see. I He did a, a show called Other Space that was like a sci-fi comedy that I think is underrated. I don't know where you can watch it now. It was on Yahoo screen, you know, yeah, that. Right. Um, but it was <laughs> it was created by Paul Feig. And, and I thought it was really, really a fun, underrated show. So worth worth watching. Hooray um, Yahoo Screen. Yeah, no, definitely no hooray for Yahoo um, Screen. But um and finally Backwoods Home Magazine still being published. I know, we're excited about that. Yeah. You want to learn how to like live off the grid and which firearms to use to uh, you know, hunt for your food. That's the magazine for you. There are plenty of people who want to know that information, Josh. There are. There are indeed. So on that note, that is Safety Not Guaranteed. That is this episode and the season of Awesome Movie Year. Uh, as Jason said, come yell at us about why we're wrong about this movie on social media and online. AwesomeMovieYear.com. Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I'm Jason Harris Comedy or J Harris Comedy on all the socials. My website, go for Jason. Uh, again, we're looking for it with our time machine. Have yet to find it. But you can go to eatthiscomedy.com or eat this comedy on uh, Instagram. And of course, Josh, go for Jason as a letterboxed uh, you know, personality is just on fire. Totally, totally on fire. Uh, <laughs> my website, also not much going on there. JoshBellHatesEverything.com. But Josh Bell hates everything on Facebook. Uh, Signal Bleed on Twitter and at Signal Bleed on Letterboxd. More stuff to check out there. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. Which uh, soon to be possibly the exclusive place for voting in these audience choice polls, it looks like, depending on what crazy thing elon musk does next on twitter so we'll see how that goes mm-hmm. uh, jason what are we doing in our next episode josh we can't leave 2012 without an epilogue telling everyone what we missed what we were thinking about and what we might do as a bonus at some point in time so it's the epilogue 2012 yeah so tune in next time for the 2012 epilogue and thanks for listening to awesome movie year thank you for listening to awesome movie year 
Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.